Well, my friends, uh, it's good to be here again, uh, bringing the word. I feel like it's been a while. I've been, uh, the last number of sermons I've preached have been at the First Baptist uh, Church, which is, has been fun too, um, being over there. And that's where Pastor Doug is today. Um, and so, well, I'm up here, so that's great. Let's turn to Luke. Um, one of the things that happened to me this week as I was preparing for Aggie's uh, funeral service and preparing for the sermon, was I forgot to send anything to the PowerPoint team. So uh, there's going to be nothing on the screen. You guys are fending for yourselves. Oh, okay. I didn't realize I get a cheer for that. So stop giving stuff to the PowerPoint team. Is that the message? Okay. Uh, so the book of Luke is where we are today. Um, I invite you to turn there. We're going to be reading uh, in Luke... Uh, chapter 4, uh, and so we'll get there shortly, um, and, uh, and you guys can kind of mark that for this, this morning. Uh, have you ever listened to a sermon, or, or even before the sermon began, and thought to yourself, oh man, I'm so glad that that guy over there is here today. They really need to hear this. Uh, or, you know, maybe you had some other words in your head as well. I think we can fall victim to that sometimes, this way of thinking. The thinking that, you know, I've got my life together, uh, or at least enough, together enough, and I have it better than that person over there. Uh, or I've never actually met someone who said that they're perfect, or they actually think they're perfect, but I have met some people who think they're pretty close. And so this morning, I want us to prepare our hearts uh, for God to unearth a few things within us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And we thank you that each time we come to it, uh, we can learn more. We can learn more about you. Uh, we learn more about ourselves. And if anything, Lord, every time we turn to it, we are reminded of how good and amazing and powerful you are and how desperately we need you, uh, and how thankful we are uh, that you saved us, and we can have relationship with you. And Father, we aren't called to uh, just wallow in our sin and, and just walk around as though we have no hope. Um, Lord, we are filled with joy for what you've done for us, but may we also remember um, the, that price you paid for us, that sacrifice you made for us. So just be with us this morning as we look at your word, speak to each of us, including myself. Uh, we need to hear from you, Lord. Amen. Uh, so I'm actually going to start uh, just a, a short passage in Luke 18. It says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is Luke 18, verse 9. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I wonder sometimes how we would fill in that phrase, tax collector, Oilers fan. Uh, oh, sorry, Dustin's not, where's Dustin? I'm just, it's just because I'm jealous. 
Ben Jepson, let's put that in. How about that? Uh, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So where do we land in this story? When you read this passage, when we hear a sermon or when we get challenged by a a good friend who's holding us accountable uh, or just a family member who, who loves us, What is the posture that we we naturally take? I think far too often I have the posture of the Pharisee. I don't love when someone tells me, you know, where I'm falling short or things that uh, I need to work on. And Jesus came up against this in our passage today. Uh, One of the commentaries I read said this, Announced by the angel Gabriel, son about by his mother Mary, located alongside the prophet John the Baptist, Born with a song by angels, sung about by Simeon, prophesied by Anna, recognized by temple leaders, declared by John the Baptist, baptized by the same, and tested by the devil, Jesus is now ready to go public with his ministry. So he's starting out. This is where we are at in, in, our, our, uh, in the book of Luke. Jesus starts his ministry by preaching a sermon and it started out really good. The, the audience really liked it. So let's take a look. So Luke chapter 4, and starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So at the time, he would have read that. And then when he sits down, it's as though, okay, it's now time to hear the sermon. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, If we were doing that, you would all stand and I would actually have a seat. So, you know, it doesn't sound too bad. But the... His sermon wasn't very long, so then you'd all be standing, you know, only for a few seconds, so then it's not such a big deal. But So here he is, Jesus gives his, his first sermon, and the audience really liked it. It sounds great, it's encouraging. Finally, someone is going to come and deal with the no good, dirty, rotten scum we see around us. This is exciting. And Jesus looks at them and realizes they're not getting it. They don't, it's, it's not sinking in. So he continues on. So we'll continue on in, in our passage here. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet 
is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So as uh, someone who was born and raised in Grand Forks and born and raised in this church, it's a very interesting passage to preach on when it says uh, a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. It's also a little bit nerve-wracking when Jesus himself preaches in his hometown and they want to throw him off a cliff. Uh, so my, uh, my challenge to you this morning is not to take me up to observation after I finish the sermon and, uh, and get too upset. It's actually, it's actually kind of funny. I, uh, when I first started here 12 years ago, I would get these comments once in a while about my haircut or, you know, about the clothes I wear and stuff. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. And, uh, and then today I, I dressed up. People go, oh, Ben, looking pretty snazzy there and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. I can't win. I don't know what you people want from me, but... So what's going on? What, what, what's happening in this passage? Jesus gets up and, and he reads from Isaiah 61. That's where this is from, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He sits down and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and everyone loved it. Why? Why did they love that part of the sermon? Because Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes, sounds really good to an audience that would see themselves as poor, captives, blind, and oppressed. But they were missing it. They had an incorrect view of themselves. They saw no real faults of their own. They just saw themselves as victims ready to see their enemies and those who didn't keep the law destroyed and crushed and taken care of. Which begs the question, how are we viewing ourselves today? And is it accurate? And I think there's a lot to be said about this when it, when it comes to life. If you're always the victim, you'll always take that role on. Why? Because that's how you view the world. That's how you interpret everything that happens to you. You have that lens. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly how I thought about myself, even with, with like weight loss stuff. I failed before I even started. Well, this is just who I am. I can never lose weight. It's never going to happen. And, I, and you just play this victim, uh, or somehow it's everyone else's fault, or something weird. You know, you get caught into this weird way of thinking with things. 
So how should we view ourselves today in Canada in 2023? What is your posture when it comes to your relationship with Christ? Perhaps we would do better to think more like the blind beggar in Luke 18. So in Luke 18, verse 35, it says this. As he drew near near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I just love this question. It's come up to me a few times over the last month. I love the question that Jesus asks the blind man. What can I do for you? Do you know how you would answer that question? If Jesus came to you, and in many ways he does, but if Jesus came to you today and just said, what can I do for you? I think how we answer that question may be a good starting point for revealing what's in your heart. So if this audience that was listening to Jesus, uh, Jesus' first sermon thought they fit the bill for what he was saying, how did they get it wrong? They thought because of what was happening to them and the state Israel was in, that the time had come for their salvation. And in a way, they were right. It just wasn't happening the way that they thought. When Jesus refers to the poor in this passage, there is a level at which he is speaking about the physical, but more importantly, he's referencing the spiritually poor. And this is the big shift that happens later in the passage. It becomes clear to the audience that Jesus doesn't think they are spiritually rich. They think they're better than they are. They don't have it all together. This realization hits after he references the story of Elijah and Elisha. It's very interesting. Jesus references these two men. Both were working in a very dark time in Israel's history. And the stories Jesus references here were works done by God that was very unexpected. A widowed Gentile and a leprous Syrian. Not all of Israel and all the Israelites at this point, anyway, in the, in the stories that Jesus is referencing here. The widow of Zarephath and Naaman from Syria, one was poor and one rich, but both were spiritually poor. And Jesus comes to those who know they are spiritually poor. And that is what he does when he's on earth. That's what he does today. The lights are turning on in the synagogue as Jesus is preaching, and it's starting to get a little bit heated. Jesus made it clear he's not coming to the audience he was speaking to. Of course, he came for all of humanity, but there was something going on there. In the parable of the lost son, you have two sons who rebelled against God. We all know the story, I'm sure. One rebelled by leaving And one actually rebelled by staying. The audience in this story suffered from the older son syndrome. 
You see, they ran from God, and we can do this too. We can run from God, and the, the older son did this, and live your life on your own. Uh, sorry, the younger son did that, but you can also do this by trying to do all the right things and make it as though God owes you. You know, we can rebel and, and run from the Lord and make our own way, but we could also have this heart posture where we go, well, you know what, God, I've done this, 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 and this, so you owe me. And I think we have to watch how we react to people um, when people give us the truth and see where we lean <laughs> or see how, see how we lean when we read scriptures or we hear the Lord speaking to us and go, okay, I'm out. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away. Or, well, the Lord owes me because of what I'm doing. You know, if, <laughs> if you actually wanted to throw me off a cliff after I preached, there might be something going on in your heart that isn't healthy. Also, you don't want to be a murderer. So that's not good either. Uh, or how about this? I struggled with this a lot when I was in high school and, and kind of after. You see these people coming to know Jesus and they come to the faith and they get baptized and you celebrate and then they trail off and it's almost like they were like, oh, it never happened, don't talk about it. I'm like, oh, but it seems so authentic and you were so excited about it and then you're gone. And then they come back again later and I'm like, you know what? You left, you know, you left and... And you kind of did your own thing, and you, you made it sound like it was no big deal. And I stayed. I was the older son. I stayed around, you know, and you start to get indignant. And I have to watch that. And I think we have to bear that in mind, too, when people come back to the fold. How do we react to that? And, and I think what happens, too, what can happen in our hearts is we really start comparing ourselves with one another. And this was something that even the disciples struggled with. In John 21, it says this. Uh, Peter and, and Jesus were walking together um, when Jesus returned. It said, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And this was a reminder for me recently. You know what? Stay in your lane. Don't worry about other people, about what's going on there. God has a plan for them. You can worry about yourself. I mean, Jesus is saying this right to Peter. What business is of you what John's going to do? You just worry about yourself. I got a plan for you. So how about this idea of being spiritually poor? You know, one, one aspect of, of actually being physically poor means you, you don't bring much or bring anything of material wealth to the table. And, and this is the posture that Jesus calls us to. You don't come to Christ and say, you know, please save me. You're going to need me on your team, Jesus. Or, you know, save me and, and I, I'll do all these things for you. Or save me and just, just wait until you see these spiritual gifts I have. And, uh, and these talents that I have, uh, and, and the ways that the, the things that I'll do. But the reality is, and, 
and we know this, that God actually gives us everything. Anything we could bring to him, he's already given to us. Uh, We have nothing apart from him. You have nothing to offer in this negotiation, if you want to call it a negotiation. You bring nothing and you make zero demands. And there's this interesting thing that happens. I've, I've talked about this before. I, um, I remember reading uh, uh, an article about um, Tim Keller recently because he's been having health struggles and, and he's, he has cancer. And it, it sounded at one point that he wasn't going to make it. I'm not sure now. But I remember just reading this comment where this lady just said, Lord, please save Tim Keller. We need him. And I know what she meant. But I'm like, because Tim Keller is great. But Jesus doesn't need Tim Keller. You know, God doesn't need Tim Keller. Uh, and, and there's this interesting thing that happens with like celebrities where they come to know Christ. And we hear about them and, and we go, wow, this is so exciting. Just think of what this celebrity is going to be able to do for the gospel. But I just wonder, does God really need celebrities to come to know him to further the kingdom? You know, one of the spiritual heavyweights that came to know Christ was Saul. And this is what God said of him. It's right in the Bible. It says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Oh, that sounds good. And then it says this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. (laughs) You know, that is, that's intense. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need a celebrity. He doesn't need gospel chapel to accomplish his mission. But he has chosen to use all of these things if we are willing. And if we come to him in our spiritual poverty and just say, I am here and please use me. Isn't it interesting how many times Jesus interacted with the physically poor in the Gospels and the outsiders and those on the fringes and how often they seem to get it. They got the picture. And isn't it interesting how many times Jesus interacts with maybe more of the elite uh, and the rich and so forth and how many of them missed it? Of course, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a rule that happened all the time. There's an exception on those either end, but it's interesting how many times those who didn't have much, they got it. They went, oh, I I see what's happening, and the elite completely just missed it. Now, I never realized this, but in our passage, Jesus stops his quotation from Isaiah 61. He stops mid-sentence, and it seems really odd. So I want to read it again, because I think it's it's a really cool passage. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where he stops. But it continues in Isaiah. It says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped before that. So was Jesus on earth to bring vengeance? I don't think so. He came to take it not to give it. He came not with a sword, but he came with nails. And I wonder 
when I read this, I wonder why we often idolize power. I do it all the time. And Jesus came, of course, with all authority of heaven. He had power. He was able, as he said himself, he was able to call down leagues of angels. But did he? This is one aspect we don't often like to mimic when it comes to Jesus. I don't think we often desire less power. But what if we did? What if we desired less power in our lives? The gospel is all about giving up. The gospel is all about giving up what we have for the sake of others. Give your life away for others. Give your money away for others. Give your stuff away for others. Your time, your gifts, your talents. Man, we had this funeral service yesterday for Aggie Paul's. And I don't know many people who embodied that better. Just so giving, just so willing to share. It's a great example. So I give you all uh, full permission to, to slap me right across the face. If you ever hear me say, doesn't anybody in this church know how much I sacrifice? You know, doesn't anyone know how hard I work, what I give? You know, this, this idea of, of I'm giving, but really I actually want something to, in return. But you know, I haven't given my son to be sacrificed. I haven't offered myself up to torture and death for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, I can't do what Jesus did, obviously. But that's not what it's about. But we often do this when we get power. We give ourselves all the credit for what we have done when everything we have ever been given has only been granted to us because the Lord allowed us to have another breath. It is the weirdest and most uncomfortable thing when pastors get in their heads about this kind of stuff, when they have some kind of platform and power and, and all that kind of stuff, and we're all tempted to do that. It is so backwards. It is so deadly. Everything we have is only because the Lord's granted it to us. So all glory to God for anything of spiritual or physical wealth that we have. So if we can truly look inward and take stock of our heart posture and attitudes, we may be able to start seeing where God is at work in our lives and in our country. Jesus references Israel's history with the healing of two Gentiles. The gospel is coming for us all, and it starts with the most unlikely, just with, as Jesus did. And, you know, I think good teaching in many ways should cut to the heart. It should cut to our core and maybe stretch us a bit. And are we okay with that in 2023? Have we grown too accustomed to comfort in all the areas of our lives? You know, don't challenge me too much, Pastor, please. Uh, I like being comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But how should the church replicate what Jesus is teaching? I think in a day where most of us have more than we could ever imagine and feel so at ease with all that we have, why would we need a savior? And this is where we really need to stop and examine ourselves. No matter where we find ourselves today, 
spiritually poor, spiritually rich, healthy or not, Jesus offers release. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you can hear those words from Jesus and you can celebrate going, thank goodness there is freedom and there is hope and there's a chance for a sinner like me, then I think you're on the right path. I love reading this and just going, oh, thank you, Jesus, so much. Jesus offers us release and it is so beautiful. Here's what one commentary says about this. It says, according to this passage, the church must care about the oppressed. There is much discussion today about how our culture fails to take responsibility for its actions, becoming instead a culture of victims in which everyone else is blamed for my problems. But there is no recognition of the sin and responsibility I bear for the present situation. Whether it be bad parents, the other gender, a poor environment growing up, or some other outside constraint, our culture says, I am who I am because of outside forces. Such a cultural reading reflects blindness. For while it recognizes the pervasive presence of sin in the world, it ignores my own personal contribution to that mix. All the problems are outside of me. Yet Jesus focuses less on how to change societal structures and more on how to change the individual. Structures cannot change until the people who operate them are changed. With an honesty about sin and a compassion for others comes the possibility of reversing the oppression that reigns in the world. The gospel releases us from the sinful perspectives we have, that we have it all together or or we have it better than, than someone else. And Jesus calls on his mission as a time where he is calling sinners to repentance and finding the lost. We must have eyes to see how we are part of the problem. Then we can be released with the power of the gospel to go and help and tell others that good news. When we consider all that we are going through in the world today, collectively and everything you're facing individually, have you ever considered that God is at work in ways that you may not have thought of? Have you checked in with your heart? Are you bitter or angry or jaded or feeling superior toward others? God cares about all of these things. Have you invited Jesus into these areas of suffering and pain and frustration? Have you considered that perhaps he isn't going to show up the way you think he should? If it's one thing I know for sure about Jesus, it's that he's a bit surprising sometimes. He doesn't have a simple formula to how everything's going to work. There are a lot of stories in the Gospels of Jesus answering prayers and requests and healings. And one of those consistent things that that does happen is he says, your faith has made you well. My friends, bring your pain, your suffering to Jesus. Do you have that faith? Do you have faith that Jesus is in it with you? Do you have faith that no matter what you are facing today, the power of the cross and the resurrection is far more powerful? Jesus is alive and well and changes things in our lives. He solves our problems. He is not boring. He is not predictable. 
He may not reveal the full plan to you, and he may not show up the ways you think he should. So hold fast to faith, and he will show. When we look at Luke, and when we look at the New Testament, there is a lot that doesn't make much sense. God is at work in ways that no one would have guessed. You know, you have the chief, you really have this chief antagonist, Saul, and he's converted, and now he's the chief protagonist. He's, he's the, the star of the show in a way. He goes from the bad guy to the good guy. And you have Peter who denied Jesus and was even called Satan. And he goes on later to heal people and even brings someone back from the dead. God works in really mysterious ways. And I cannot wait to see what he has in store for me, what he has in store for all of us, and what he has in store for the church in Canada. What is he up to? I want to be ready and willing. I want to have faith. I want to not grow bitter or superior but have a proper perspective of myself in relation to Jesus and the gospel. Jesus came and started his ministry, and it wasn't what anyone expected. It made a lot of people angry, so angry that they killed him. What we think Jesus is up to today may not actually be what we think it is. What if thousands and millions of people were just so discontent with the way that the world is working today and they seek wisdom from the church. They seek wisdom from local churches and their communities. What if everything you're struggling with today ends up bringing more glory to God than you could have ever imagined? What if you had an expected openness to what God will do in your life and in your work and in your church and in your family? We must ask ourselves, what has God up to in Grand Forks in 2023? I bet it's something we don't expect. Let's examine our hearts and be ready to see God move in and through us for the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that reminds us of just how broken we are and how great and good you are. And because of the work of the cross and what you have done, uh, we have an opportunity for just such deep and rich life and joy and hope. Uh, Father, I thank you that you uh, use us for the gospel and the kingdom, that you use this church, uh, that you use us as individuals, that you use places like the Pines Bible Camp and, and just this community that we have to spread the gospel. Lord, may we be open to your direction and and the things that you want to accomplish through us. May we be ready and willing. Uh, May our hearts be soft and not grow hard and and bitter or frustrated or angry. Uh, Lord, forgive us. And Father, I do pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, uh, who doesn't know this gospel. May you speak to them. Uh, May a, a friend or a family member or someone here today just have that conversation and, and just speak through that, Lord. We need to see, we desire to see more and more people come to know you, more people discipled and baptized. Lord, uh, we just want to see your power and your love. So, Father, as we um, end our time together here, just pray that we go out into this week mindful of that. Help us to be mindful of our posture, our hearts, and just mindful of the work that you want to do through us. In Christ's name, amen.